Welcome to the Sons of Thunder. My name is Joel Sedicase, the older, wiser, much more fashionable, much more, shall we say, Jordan Peterson-esque of the brothers uh, in that um, I am a deep thinker. I am... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that, yeah. uh, I don't state and, uh, <laughs> well, more like a Christian version of Jordan Peterson. Yeah. That's very, great. very orthodox. Hey, could you hear that music by the way that was playing? I couldn't. And I don't think I'll hear anything after this conversation because you're screaming so loud. Well, I've got these headphones in and I can't hear myself. So in order to hear myself, uh, I've got to yell. Uh, it's okay though. It's fine. I'll accept it. Um, yeah. so, so who are you? I, I'm Parker Sedicase, and I'm the one telling my brother it's not a good look to be hyping oneself up because he loves that expression. Oh, that's not a good look. That's not a good yeah. look. One time, I told you, one time I had an atheist tell me, um, I don't want you to be inconsistent, Joel. It's not a good look. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just thought, well, wh what is that? that? Is that a standard? You, that triggered you worse than any of his arguments ever could. Well, he didn't have any arguments. That was his argument. Yeah. It's not yeah. a good look. Well, it worked. How did that work? It didn't we're work. Still, we're still talking about it here. <laughs> that wasn't his goal. His goal was to get me to agree with his atheism. Yeah. Epic fail. Well, dude, I'm I'm stoked to talk about this one today. This this, this whole chapter is jam-packed. How are you liking your lockdown, man, before we get into it? How's lockdown? Um, we were pretty nervous first because Julie's, uh, my wife is immunocompromised. I know. So we we're a little bit, we we're, we we're pretty nervous about it, but uh, we don't care anymore. I think she's fine. We're all fine kind of just ready to get back to it you know i yeah. was studying i was studying for finals and everything so it was you were going to be quarantined yeah, anyway business as usual. yeah yeah that's good that's good it's all about you yeah yeah i'm doing well that's all that really matters how did the semester uh wrap up for you man good good i just got one of my papers back and uh got some really good notes on it oh that's good what, what paper was that the perspective on perspectivalism no no it was uh it was for netland it was um the epistemological spiral is what I call it. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so it's transcendental arguments in favor of Christian theocentric realism uh, from the possibility of inference to the best explanation. Okay, so just as a little background for people who are not as familiar with the Sons of Thunder and kind of like, you know, who are these people? Um, just a quick introduction. Parker, who are you? What What do you do? Because I think we're going to get some new listeners on this one. So, like, why are you writing papers? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a grad student at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and uh, this semester was a fun one because I got to TA for the undergrad, so I got to teach a little bit in philosophy. I was also taking a philosophy uh, course and logic in the undergrad, taking some master's courses, and then uh, also taking some uh, or one uh, PhD course. So I got to experience the full range of Trinity. That's awesome. And yeah. and you've also been doing some. Uh, some teaching at another school as well, right? You've been working with some undergrad students. That's that at right? the the uh, the school. All yeah, yeah. So in the undergrad here, I, I help teach a, a philosophy. Course oh, I here. thought you were doing that. Oh no, no, no. You know what I was thinking of? You went over to Northwestern and you were working. You were working with a professor over there, correct? Um, no, no. But I we we teach our students stuff. Uh, you were working with some other professor P outside of Trinity, though. PhD student. I don't. There's a lot. Yeah, I got a lot going on. It's awesome. That's the problem, man. You start collecting mentors the way you do, and you just you, you lose track of them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah, from yeah. That. Now they all know that I don't uh, keep track of them very well. Well, they're not going to watch this. <clears throat> so I wrote a paper for my uh, religious epistemology class. Uh, meaning uh, what? Under 
uh, knowledge, religious epistemology. I took that class with Netlin, by the way. Yeah. I think I might have had Yandel actually for it. May you rest in peace. But um, okay, so so you're talking about knowledge from a uh, religious perspective. Is that the gist? Yeah, yeah, it was super good. So um, I made a, a series of arguments in favor of um, the Christian worldview from the possibility of inference to the best explanation, mm -hmm. which is a uh, I mean, we use inf we infer to best explanations all the time. Yeah. Uh, so we use it in science. We use it in religious debates. We use it uh, in my opening paragraph. I said that most importantly, we use it to find out who ate the last pizza, uh, piece of pizza, deep dish yeah. pizza in the fridge. Yeah. Right. And so we infer that an alien could have could have taken it, but that's not really the best explanation. Not really plausible. Not no, really it's probably my wife idea. when I went to bed. Yeah. Did that happen? Is that a real true story? Oh no, it's not. That would have been me eating her food. I was gonna say she, she's a saint. Probably the other way around. So today we're talking about rule number two in this book. If you can see that there, the 12 rules for life by Jordan Peterson, Jordan B. Peterson. And last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago. Now we talked about rule number one. Let's just go ahead and get into it, man. And I've, I've titled this, um, I've titled this video. What every Christian needs to know about Jordan Peterson on human nature, because I think, uh, feel free to disagree, but I think at the heart of his second rule is the question of what does it mean to be man? What does it mean to be human? And uh, would you agree with that? You know, his uh, he goes into a lot of good stuff, but I'm not sure there is a central theme in this one. It, it, he does talk about you don't that. Think so? He goes all over the place. You think he's going to start talking about um, creation care and you know humans caring for animals, and he takes a, a different turn and um. He, I would say it has to do with the nature of self-consciousness and sin. So yeah, maybe if, if that's, yeah. Are you, are you hearing the, I'm hearing a beep, beep, beep. Yeah, that, okay. That's on you. I don't know what that it's is. My, uh, my thing is, is low. So let me, I'm going to switch headphones. Okay. So while you're doing that, I want to throw a Bible verse out there and that is Romans two, seven. And the reason I want to throw this out at the beginning, because this is where I want to circle back around to at the end. This is one of my all time favorite verses in scripture. It's, it's Romans chapter two, verse seven. It, it, this is part of a, an epistle or a letter written by the apostle Paul to the Roman church. And actually to really understand it, you've got to go back to verse six, but here's what it says. God will repay each one according to his deeds. And here's verse seven to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life and do that verse resonates with me so much after reading this chapter. And I want to, I want to explain why that is, but first let's get yeah. into it. So hey, is this uh are you hearing me? Well, yeah, you sound, you sound, you sound fine. I don't know if this is picking up or not. That's not picking up. It's still okay. coming through your, oh. your good microphone. So it's all good. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, so rule, rule one was stand up straight with your shoulders back. Rule two is treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. And you were saying there's no central theme in this, but what's what's the main argument that Peterson's making here? Well, this is really interesting because he begins with this crazy statistic about drugs, about pills. You know, your, your prescribed medicine. He says, uh, let me just read it. He says, imagine that 100 people are prescribed a drug. Consider what happens next. One third of them won't fill the prescription. Half of the remaining 67 will fill it, but won't take the, med uh, the medication correctly. They'll, they'll miss doses, they'll quit taking it entirely, 
they might not even take it at all. So it's crazy. Um, so what he's what he's talking about is self care. He's saying that we we don't take care of ourselves very well, and then um, that is setting up his whole his whole thesis of the of chapter two that you should treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. And so he moves on right from there to uh, animals, where he talks about you know take your dog to the vet, and you, you have a better shot if you take the dog to the vet in the first place. Then you obviously care about your your dog. And you're going to follow up better with his medication or her medication than you would even for yourself. And so that, yeah. that's what he's taught. Uh, that that impetus, that uh, inclination is what he's using to say, hey, just treat yourself like that, like you treat your doc or someone that you're responsible for caring for. Think of yourself that way. And, and since this is a self-help book, he's helping you reorient yourself towards yourself in order to have a better life. Yeah, it's really interesting because basically what he says is – you know, people don't take their pills. He 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 unfolds this whole this whole narrative. Um, he he introduces this mythological understanding. Really, it's a theological understanding of humanity. And then he says, in light of what it means to be man, no wonder you don't take your pills because who would ever want to take care of a depraved wretch like yourself? Hmm. But then at the end, he sort of tries to. Uh, 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 bandage the wound that he's just inflicted on you, or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the the wound that he's pointed out that you have in your psyche or in your self understanding, and he tries to to offer you some some salve and to say, well, here's why you should take care of yourself. And I got to be honest, man. As much as I enjoyed this chapter, and there were things that resonated with me, his conclusion, I mean, this 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 is an argument that is drawing heavily on the biblical worldview, and and, and he does not, I don't think he closes the loop. Yeah, I could definitely see that. So he, he brings us right to Genesis. And actually, when he's talking about the animals, you know, for, for me, that strikes a chord. I love animals. I love dogs, I love turtles, I love everything. Um, and so he brings it to, to Genesis. But on page 33, he says, uh, in, in concluding that, you know, we take care of our dogs and we don't take care of ourselves very well. He says, it is difficult to conclude anything from this set of facts, except that people appear to love their dogs, cats, ferrets, and birds, maybe even their lizards more than themselves. How horrible is that? How much shame must exist for something like that to be true? What could it be about people that makes them prefer their pets to themselves? And then he goes, it was an ancient story in the book of Genesis, the first book in the old Testament that helped me find an answer to that perplexing question. And I, I thought this is this is interesting because uh, I, I think immediately Proverbs twelve ten, we talked about a righteous man considers the life of his animals, and uh, yeah, there is something to that where maybe it's not so much self hatred, but there is this burden that we feel towards God's creation. You know, it's originally part of our design to care for creation, to steward well, to exercise dominion and authority over the animals and over. I thought that was that's actually uh, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is a good thing, and and yet our relationship with the with the animal world, is, the animal kingdom, is it's there's a weird tension there though yeah, too, there isn't is. there? There because, is dog moms, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Uh, you know, my I saw uh, someone had a magnet on the back of their car that said like my my grand baby, my grandchildren are puppies or something like that or yeah something crazy it's like, oh lady that's really sad i'm assuming it's a lady it could have been a man but yeah you know geez lady you know that's that's <laughs> that's pretty you know you should really tell your 
Yeah. You man. should kick that magnet off and tell your kids to have real kids because that right. you're going to be real disappointed in about 11 years. <laughs> your grandbabies are, are going to be put down lady. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, there definitely is that um, like disordered ordering, right? Where, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and, we're, we're, we're showing that, yeah, that, that is part of who we are, but we've warped it and we twisted it. You want to know something really, really fascinating. So there's this, documentary out called um this is getting at the relationship between man and animal and the bible and and we and we need to talk about peterson's interpretation of genesis but um there's this new documentary called the riot and the dance water have you heard yeah. of this yeah yeah have you seen it i've just seen clips of it. it looks awesome oh dude i started watching it last night with elisa so stinking good and there's one scene man you want to freak your wife out i'm watching this and i'm loving it but elisa was Alisa, this is a woman who wants to go skydiving, by the way. Totally fine with skydiving, which I'm like, not a chance. No, no way. No way. No way. Um, but but she's watching this uh this this one segment where the documentarian is getting down into the water. This is shark-infested water. And now these um, I forget the species of shark. It was not a great white, but it was like, oh, like a Galapagos shark, which are not as ferocious as great whites, but they will attack a man. Yeah. Okay. But he goes down into the water and as you see him go down, he's narrating and he said, he says, um, you know, here are the rules about getting into the water with, with, uh, infested with sharks. Number one, make aggressive eye contact. And he, he goes on to this little theological narration, this little, yeah. this little exposition. And he says, the reason why this works from a biblical perspective, well, he says, we don't know exactly why it works. But there's something in this that after the flood, God told Noah that the fear of man was going to be upon all the animals, including the fish of the sea. And so what um, what the, the documentarian is, is saying is basically, he's implying that when you look a shark dead in the eyes, there is something being communicated there. It's hmm. not that the shark thinks you're a bigger, nastier shark. That's what the scu his scuba instructors told him. Instead, it's you're asserting your manhood, your your humanness over the shark, and there's something intrinsic in the shark that wants to back off from that. The shark knows that that you've been given dominion over it. And yeah, it's I don't know, man. Uh, listen, this is what he says. Oh, you don't you don't agree? I don't. I don't think it's personalizing the shark too much. It's not, but well, it's no more personalizing than it is to say that a salmon knows how to swim upstream back to its the land of its spawning, or a spider yeah, knows how to because that is, that a is web. that's another personification. It doesn't know it. It, just it knows reacts, in a different right? way. Well, sure. yeah, but it, it knows in the way that a spider knows how to that, a, that that a goose knows how to fly south for the winter, and may they all do so and stop mm -hmm. hanging around Illinois. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I feel that, dude. There, there's something weird. It's like a weird. I'm uncomfortable to talk about it because it's kind of woo woo, kind of weird stuff. But yeah, like, yeah. I love catching turtles, right? Turtles and frogs. Yeah, we know this. When I, when I, when they see me and they know that I've seen them, even if they're across the pond, they jump in. <laughs> and it's like this weird thing where I'm like, how did you know that I was conscious of you? Yeah. You know, and, and, and then I'm coming for you. It could be that I'm just spending way too much time, you know, tracking down turtles and I'm seeing. You know, <laughs> you're, 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 you're beginning, they're beginning yeah. to talk back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's when I know it's time to go home. Yeah. 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 Well, well, so let's so, talk about Genesis. Yeah, man. So this is where Peterson introduces his whole chaos and order uh, um, schema. Right. And he talks about, uh, so right. 
in a sense, you, you said that he is borrowing from the Christian worldview. He's using this framework. He is and he isn't because he's imposing right. his own, right? He's in, imposing this order, um, chaos, dualistic view of of the world yeah. onto the Genesis motif or onto motifs in Genesis as well. And so uh, he talks about uh, order and chaos. And the book is actually, you know, it's 12 Rules for Life, an antidote to chaos. And he's he's been taken uh, not to task, but he's been that's been brought up to him before. Where he talks about order being masculine and um, chaos being feminine. And so this one uh, feminist uh, journalist said, you know, uh, antidote. How come it's not an antidote to order as well? It seems like are are you being anti-feminine uh, here? Well, because he associates chaos with with right. matter, which he says, you know, matter is derived from the Greek word mater, which means mother. Yeah, that you know, chaos a, is the mother. Order is God the Father. I mean, that's yeah. that's getting yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So he he talks about this schema where um and and order isn't isn't uh, just good on its own because right. he talks about order being authoritarian and it, uh, if tyrannical. Right. Yeah. Tyrannical. Totally. The tyrannical father that eats his son. Uh, there's also a tyrannical mother. But so he's talking about these two, um, not as if order is is the, the key and chaos is, is inherently bad. But he talks about this razor's edge between the two, the line between the yin and the yang. And um, that's the sweet spot where you're turning chaos into order. He you're says that. He says that. But then the whole chapter presents chaos in a way that is actually associated not only with the feminine, but, um, but with, with evil actually like yeah. his examples of order after he gets past the fact where, where he's the point where he makes, uh, where he makes the comparison of, uh, you know, too much order can be tyrannical. The rest, the rest of the comparisons are, are all about how chaos is, is manifested in, in, you know, fearful circumstances and actual malevolence and evil. And he does it in a way, man, where it's not just like a corrective. You know, you might say, well, our society is more chaotic. So he's got to emphasize the negative elements of chaos so that he can provide the, the antidote and sort of get us back balanced. But I don't think so because it does seem like he's tipped, he's tipped one direction, right? Towards yeah. order a little bit more. Yeah. So I could understand that feminists. Um, yeah. I thought that was a, that was an interesting critique point. There, right yeah. Um, and maybe that's just him not being careful, not not thinking through, or or being careful with his words. But um, yeah, or maybe he's borrowing more from. Maybe he wants to talk more about good and evil, but because he's not a Christian, he can't. So he says chaos and order, but then he really starts talking about good and evil, and it's like, yeah. you know, dude, you can't. Those are two separate things there, and you're, you know, you're you're slipping. You're you're yeah. not able to coherently talk about these things anymore. Yeah. So well, when he goes in, he goes in on. Um, he's got a lot of dualisms going on. Wow. He's got a lot of dualism going on. He's talking yeah. about order chaos, right? Then he talks about, and, and in this order chaos, this is something that's unique to Peterson that um, he takes the ball further than, than Jung did. And so he's he's wanting to develop that and, and ultimately ground the order chaos scheme in the two halves uh, or hemispheres of your brain. So right brain, left brain kind of stuff. And so he's talking about um, chaos is the do domain of ignorance. It's the unexplored territory. And then order is explored territory. And so that's that's your mind's way of interacting in the world. And so, yeah, chaos is the nighttime. 
It's the the snake. It's the unexplored things that you don't know. You're not aware of yet. It's also the womb. It's also potentiality. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. His 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 dualisms definitely interact there. There's the male yeah. female dualism, yeah. and then there's the order chaos, and then there's this latent good evil. And he wants them all to be the same, but yeah. well, yeah. and so also, so he's got the world of experience, and then he's got the world of science. Right, right. The, world the world of action works. and the world of things. Yeah, and he says that, and and this is something that's interesting too, because this is a lot of Christians uh, talk about this, right? Like Calvin, the we live in the the theater of God, right? And we're we're called to act. Uh, Van Hooser picks this up. A lot of people pick up this idea of this drama of lived experience, and so Peterson says within the realm of uh, the world of experience, that's where the two fundamental elements are: order and chaos. Because you don't see order and chaos in science. That's something right. that we have to impose on and, and view. And that's really interesting. That's um, what Husserl talked about, the uh, the Leibniz-Welt, like the, the life world. Hmm. The That's phenomenology, right? That's the, He's saying that that is, for us, the basic thing. And he, he roots that in Darwinistic evolution as well. Peterson does. Or, or are you saying uh, Husserl? Peterson does. Peterson does. But, okay. but he's talking about what Husserl is talking about in his phenomenology, the Leibniz-Welt. So, so, so this is where it gets, this is where it gets a little sticky. Okay. Because, um, and, and I actually, I owe this, this next insight to one of the authors, uh, Esther O'Reilly in this oh, book, yeah. myth, myth and meaning in, uh, Jordan Peterson. I didn't know she had a, a contribution in there. Oh she's, yeah, dude. She's what? She's super interesting. Oh, really good. And you know what she does is she brings in this really, so, you know, Francis Schaefer, obviously. No, I'm personally. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, uh, for those listening, Francis Schaefer is deceased. Uh, but I, and I know you disagree with some of, um, some of Schaefer's methodology. Yeah. Um, uh, but history too, is, his, is, his what? His, his whole historical, uh, framework is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Fine. Fine. For that's sure. Okay. That's fine. Better than I um, like. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you get a haircut? I did. One of my friends did it. What? Yeah. Boom. Looks good, dude. Thanks, man. I'm the only I'm the only guy who hasn't look at this mop I got going on here, man. I'm I the like only one who hasn't gotten a haircut. It's I'm bringing back the uh, the the pops look from the seventies. Is that oh, yeah? The well, he had a yeah, he had a true fro. Yeah. I'm I'm like all right, all right. So back to Esther here. So here's the thing. So Esther O'Reilly, what she says is, she goes, um, Peterson. When Peterson talks about the world as a as a like a theater for action or as a, an arena for action yeah. versus versus a world of things what peterson is doing is he's talking about it's it's schaefer's two stories i don't know if peterson knows that i mean i don't know if peterson's ever read francis schaefer i haven't seen any yes. no but but it's it's this idea that the world is divided into the concrete and objective story below which is accessible to science and the upper story, the top floor, which is more the subjective world of yep. archetypes and ideas. And the interesting thing is Peterson says that the upper story, he doesn't call it the upper story. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my two thinkers here. Okay. Sure, sure. But he says that that's more fundamental. Yeah, exactly. The, that, the, that's the Lebensvelt. Yes, uh, yes. And, and it actually goes back further than it, it goes back further. I mean, to Husserl, it goes back even further, but Emmanuel um, Kant, I mean, well, Plato, right? The forms. And, sure. Right, the yeah. Story. But um, C.S. Lewis actually does a really, really good job of this. I used it in one of my papers in uh, what he, he talks about um, 
meditation in a tool shed. Have I talked to you about this before? You can look at, you see a beam coming down through the corner. It's yeah. all so, so you're in a, you're in a tool shed. It's totally dark. Yeah. You got there's a hole in the corner. You got a, a light beam coming down. You can see dust. You can look at that scientifically and you can look at the photons and, and all that kind of stuff. You can analyze it, right? And you can see this is a beam or you can turn your head and look along it and outside you can see through it, right? And you can see the trees outside. You could all this stuff. So Lewis is talking about these two different perspectives, the subjective perspective and the objective third person, first person, third person perspectives. And, and he's saying that for so long, and this is so funny because he wrote it in 1945 maybe. And he said for so long, the, third person perspectives and beating up on the first person, but not even realizing that they are presupposing the first person in order to do so. Right. Explain, so uh, flush that out, man. Flush that well, out. So check us out. So a neuroscientist looks at the gray matter in your head and says, this is, it, that's what it is. You, you're, you think you're having thoughts. You look at this mathematician and he thinks he's contemplating eternal truths when he's mm -hmm. looking at math, but really it's just the gray matter in his head. And Lewis says, you can only do that because you have this first person perspective from what you're talking about. What if another he calls them neurophysiologists or something, whatever the terminology was. Um, another guy comes and looks at yours. He can say the exact same thing about you. You think you're talking about this mathematician, right. but really it's just right. a gray matter in your brain. Exactly. And yeah. you can do that ad nauseum. And so he's saying, or ad infinitum. And uh, it's, it's he, Lewis goes on to use his famous, he loves saying this at the end of, at the end of his argument, he'll say, well, you can't have a proof that there's no proofs. This would <laughs> yeah. be a proof that there's no proofs. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just so great. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, Lewis talks about these two different realms, these two different worlds that are, they're both necessary, but insofar as we are all persons with a first person perspective, yeah, that the fundamental one is that light, the, the Lebensvelt. So Peterson, he, let, let's talk about his interaction with Genesis. So first of all, he's presupposing the documentary hypothesis, which yeah. says that Genesis was the creation accounts of Genesis. Uh, if you, if you open up your Bible, um, you've got what appears to be two different creation stories. You've got chapter one, and then you've got chapter two through 11. And what Peterson says is two through 11 is an older story. And chapter one is a newer story that was added to it. And what, what he says, again, this, this idea that Genesis was written by multiple authors, it's not actually true. Um, we talked about this last time. It's the JEDP model. Right, right. The right. Yahwist, Elo, Elohist, Deuteronomist, and Priestly. Priestly, right, right. So he says you've got these the the Jawist and the Priestly stories sort of juxtaposed, kind of fused together here. Um, but one of the things that, that I like about how Peterson enters into the story of Genesis is he says, prior to modern science, the world was seen as a place of action, not as a place of of things. And this is kind of what we're talking about. Um, what he, what he says is uh, the, the, the great thinkers all the way down to the, the average individual, the not the unschooled, you know, guy just trying to plow the field and go about his life understood the world in a non-scientific way. There was this, there was more of a storied understanding, more of a yeah. mythological understanding. So Peterson has no problem taking Genesis seriously even if he doesn't think it's literally true and yeah. you know and he thinks it's it's more important than literal truth he thinks it's mythological truth which for right. him is, is deeper you know it, it tells us more about who we are and our story um so mythological truth for him it's not like an add-on that's okay it's safe in here he thinks that's that's more important right that's right and this this gets people who have to act right and he is a, he's a pragmatist so of yeah. course that makes sense 
Yeah, and he calls this the domain not of matter, but of what matters. Yeah, and and it's this pretty good wordplay too. You had going on there. Yeah, yeah, it very good. And yeah. you know, it's interesting. What do you think about his comparison of order and chaos? He says order and chaos are to drama as molecules and quarks basically are to matter. These are the fundamental elements that make up the world of our experience, this drama we find ourselves in. Do you like that? I, I like that as long as there's not like a necessity claim there because... Um, that, what do you mean by what's a necessity okay, claim? So, so that's something he totally does get wrong about the Genesis account. It's not... Uh, so he talks about God um, makes he makes the world and it's uh, void and, and empty, right? And it's this, the world of chaos. And then God has to, you know, you know, walk that line uh, uh, be between the yin and the yang. And he, he creates order of chaos. It, it wasn't like, it's not the chaos that he's talking about. God didn't have to do anything like that. So it's not an internal struggle. Like, um, it, it, uh, who, uh, Augustine, who are those folks that? Uh, oh, the Manichaeans? Manichaeans, right? It's not like this ultimate dualism where there's two gods and there's, right? For us, though, in, in, the world we live in, yeah, dude, that that's totally what makes a good story. Pops talks about this all the time, right? Dad, dad actually read a bunch of Joseph Campbell back in the day and talked about the hero with the thousand or ten thousand faces. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. every good story has life, death, and resurrection. And dude, that's right. If you see a good movie on TV uh, or in the theaters, or whatever, it's gonna Jackie Chan has to get beat up first, right? And that's why Superman has to have kryptonite. Otherwise, yeah. it's boring. He's just too every in. good romance. You know, uh, they have to have a breakup. Right. Or be on the, the verge of divorce or something right. like that, or or bankruptcy, yeah. and then you know they've, they've ordered chaos. Yeah, and so yeah. we would say that that represents that story is so good because it represents God's story, and Peterson would said would say the Bible is such a good story because it represents this eternal order chaos um, dialectic, right? So you see how we're flipping the two. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, and and again, when he talks about order and chaos, sometimes I, I, you can just tell he wants to talk about good and evil. He, he'll, he'll say evil. He'll use yeah. evil as, as if it has meaning, but he will not accept the objective standard that we would say is necessary for talking about evil. Well, he would go pretty close. He would say stuff that sounds to us like, oh yeah, man, we could totally get down with you. But you know, when you look at maps of meaning, he grounds it in evolutionary history, and mm -hmm. he even, um. Sounds like he says he's regretting that that he has to say this, but yeah. it's on this shifting sands of uh, even within archetypes, right? It's it's yeah. been progressively it's through dialectic we've come to to view our morals the way we do. So this is one of the things. So if we're trying to provide you know tools, and I might put something in the show notes about how you know we really start talking about you know Peterson's arguments at like the thirty minute mark. So if you're just joining us right now. Um, for we've been sort of doing an introduction to the second rule of Jordan Peterson, which is um, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. And we've been given an introduction to his thought. And we've what we've talked about is how he views the book of Genesis in the Bible and some of his fundamental presuppositions. You know, like he doesn't necessarily think it's literally true. He thinks it's more mythologically true. Whereas Parker and I, as Christians, we're going to say not only is it not only is it mythologically true, not only is it important, but it is also literally true. Yeah. So there's already there's that, already a, a that's difference in our starting points. Talking about Schaefer, that's something that Schaefer talks about a lot. That God tells stories in space and time. That's it's, right. God, it's of course it's a story. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, God yeah. paints with reality, like we paint with colors. I love that. I love that. So so now we're talking about 
how Peterson views the world that is the world of our experience, which Peterson says is actually more important than scientific yeah. truth. He calls it the domain, not of matter, but of what matters. And he, he really gets into this dichotomy between order and chaos. So if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, which I posted something earlier today about why is what is the best movie soundtrack of all time and why is it Fellowship of the Ring? And then I posted a gif of Gandalf from Return of the King, like an idiot. Uh, instead of <laughs> That's awesome. instead of posting it, posting one from yeah uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, but um, so uh, somebody Dan Goulson pointed that out. My buddy Dan Goulson, um, but Peterson says order is the Shire. If you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, which Park, I know you are, obviously. Yeah, uh, chaos is smog, or or you know you might say smog the dragon. Okay, in those stories, or you might say um, you know. Order is Geppetto's woodmaking shop. Okay, chaos is the belly of Monstro the whale in the yeah. story of Pinocchio. All right, order is a stable marriage. Chaos is finding out your spouse has been yeah. committing infidelity. Which, adultery. dude, I, that that is really actually super profound. Where he he Peterson talks about this in a lot of his uh, lectures online. He talks about how you just it enters you into a different world. Yeah, You're in a, you everything you thought was a lie. Yeah. You, you, you're in this world, you think you're in this happy relationship, you come home and find your spouse cheating on you or something, and you drop into a different world. Yeah. And it's just like, and that's yeah. what he talks about a lot with uh, with self-consciousness. And um, he, he talks about that a lot, actually. Consciousness and self-consciousness. We should get into that a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and again, um, what Christians need to understand is that when Peterson is talking about order and chaos, he, he says that the... I almost said the well-ordered life, but really the life that has meaning is the life that's sort of on the razor's edge between order and chaos. And yet, when you actually read this book, when you actually read 12 Rules for Life, what you find is the way he presents order is order does seem to be better than than chaos. Order does seem to be more in line with the good. So why don't I think I think he was, you know, he um he had some problems with uh anti-anxiety anti-anxiety pills i think and stuff like he, that he did in rehab and personally so yeah. he was supposed to be coming out with a book i think in 2020 which might have been a response to to order i think that was how i was slated so oh, is that right so it could be that yeah we're, we're totally it would make sense with his diagram or his uh dialogical method here but so i, yeah. I wanted to put that out there just in case you know like he's no oh, that's good that. yeah 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 that's good that's good so okay so he talks about order and chaos. He says the potential for chaos is real and it matters. He says, this is actually a quote. He says, even the oldest and most familiar places retain an ineradicable capacity to surprise you. Man, isn't isn't that the truth? Yeah. You know, like I, I still remember, you know, the house we grew up in on Charlotte Street in Lombard. Um, you go to that street today. In fact, I, I went back there, you know, probably a couple of years ago, I drove past, but even like I've looked it up on Google maps since then, the whole block, the whole street, it's the same place, man, but it looks completely different. Yeah. Like our house, our old house burned down, as you know, Yeah. there's a new house there, totally different. The house across the street is different. It's just a completely different place. It's, it's, it's a well, it's a well-ordered place. I'm not saying it's not, but it's the, the change from what we grew up with to what it's like now. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I feel the chaos there. Well, dude, and, and he talks about this walled garden. So he's talking about Genesis, right? And he's talking about the snake, the serpent in the in the garden. 
And um, what, what he's talking about with that is that uh, you can you can clean up your whole house, you can plug all the holes and stuff, and a mouse can still get in, or you'll still find a spider. Yeah. Right. You can you can never actually uh, plug up every hole and keep chaos out. So right. even in the garden, you see the snake, and he goes on to say that something along the lines of uh, like maybe God uh, thought his creation would be able to handle the serpent and considered its presence the lesser of two evils because God, even God couldn't keep the snake out of the garden. Yeah. I'm going to cringe at that one. Right. Yeah. It's pretty cringe. Once you start saying even God couldn't. Right. And, and you know, Park, you and I, this would be a good time to mention uh, Parker and I have done a video before on uh, an episode of the sons of thunder where we talk about why God's limits make him greater. And we talk about how God is, is, um, is, He's not, limited by his perfection, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. He's limited by his perfection. And and reading, in other words, God can't do something that's immoral. God can't do something that's illogical. Um, and there's no problem saying God's limited by that. But yeah. I, I don't quite know that Peterson is, you know, he no, views God not. more as a mental concept anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know that he's, he's, he's tricky on that. We've talked about that too. Yeah. But so he talks about, when he talks about the serpent, he says, uh, he considers the, the the serpent story like a just so story, right? A just so story is um, like a, a primitive uh, mythological story of you know how the serpent lost his legs, kids. Yeah, you know, and, right. and so the serpent had legs, and you know, I always was kind of curious about that until I took Doctor Carson's class, and he says it, it, it's not a just so story, but it's a reinterpretation of the serpent, where mm. even if he uh, slithered on his belly before, it could have been seen as this really. Uh, ingenuitive uh, way to to travel. That's really interesting. Look at that thing winding around. And then with a new interpretation, it's you're crawling on your belly in the dirt, and this this is a bad thing. Mm. Right? So after the fall, it's, it's reinterpretation. So it doesn't necessarily have to be this just-so story. We always assume that it had legs because God, when he punishes them, he says, now you'll crawl on. And so Carson's saying it, it's probably more of just a reinterpretation. Well, also just think think of, you know, the narrative here, you want to talk about meaning, think about where you first, um, you, you first see the snake sort of associated with the tree. And I don't know that it explicitly says he's in the tree, but he's, he's there, yeah. you know, and he's, he's sort of talking with Eve as a, uh, almost, almost as an equal. So there's definitely some, some tipping of this, the, the scales here in terms of who's more important, who's right. supposed to have dominion over the other. But you can almost imagine this the serpent coming down the tree and speaking to Eve. And then God says, Well, now you're gonna be in the dust. You know, yeah. now you're gonna, you know, yeah, so there's this, there's this physical um displacement or replacement of the uh the serpent, which yeah. which is almost, you know, which is analogous to when Jesus says in the New Testament, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know, mm-hmm. Satan, this eternal serpent is is falling from this exalted yeah. position. Yeah. Which which again, that doesn't mean that the Genesis story is is false from a scientific perspective or historical perspective. Yeah. Well, so, so Peterson, here's where Peterson gets into his self-conscious versus consciousness mm-hmm. um, distinction. And he says, you know, before, before Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were conscious people. They were lived in this walled garden. Now the snake enters and he talks about the snake, you know, um, even God can't keep the, the, chaos out of the order just like we see in the yin and the yang we see the black dot and the inside the white and the white dot inside he uses that a lot and so um adam and eve they fall and in falling they become self-conscious and they become 
And really, he's using it not in the philosophical sense, but in the psychological sense, which makes sense for, for him, right? But yeah, it's this vulnerability. Now you're self-aware and you see that, oh, you're a squishy human, right? You're like this human evolved ape and you don't have all the protective covering that you used to have. And, yeah. and so that's what he means by self-consciousness. That's actually like you're self-conscious in the way that you're going to a party and you're self-conscious, right? Yeah, it's like that recurring dream that everybody has about uh, you know being on stage in their underwear. Or- totally. Or, you know, I used to always have this dream that I was being called back to my high school and I had to, um, <laughs> I can remember this really vividly, man. I, I would get called back to my high school because, you know, I used to do theater in high school. Yeah. And um, I, w- I, I, they needed someone to play the lead role in this play and the play was starting and I had to jump on stage, but I didn't know any of my lines. And at one point um, I was handed... This is bizarre, but it was a dream. A cracker. And on this cracker was, this is the only script that I received. And it was like this little word that was stamped on a cracker. And and here you go. Now get out there and say your lines. In other words, I was like completely unprepared, completely ill-equipped to get out there. But it's this feeling of vulnerability, this feeling yeah. of totally not being prepared. And this is like um, this common meme that shows up in human experience. This, these dreams that we have, this feeling of being ashamed, of being unprepared, of falling short. And Peterson says, this is what's reflected in the Genesis narrative. And, uh, and, and he is, he roots it in our evolutionary past. Whereas we would say, well, no, it's actually rooted in an actual moral fall that took place actually in our, our history. And and actually, you know, I would, I would distinguish, I think, uh, so when we talk about consciousness, I've been studying that a lot this semester for my philosophy of uh, mind uh, reading course. Consciousness, we squirrels are conscious, right? Bats are conscious. Uh, Thomas Nagel has this famous paper, What Is It Like to Be a Bat? Hmm. Where he talks about this irreducibly, the, the irreducibility of the first-person perspective. And first-person perspective, right? Squirrels aren't persons in the sense that we attribute moral personhood to them, but because they're not self-conscious. But um, if there's something that it's like to be that, then it's conscious. There's nothing that it's like to be a tree. It has no perspective, right? It, it's not conscious. But so um, in, in philosophy of mind, we make this distinction. There are conscious things if it's something that it's like to be that. And then I would root the self-consciousness in the fact that we are made in God's image. Right there in Gen- Genesis 1, we are made self-conscious like God is self-conscious. Self-conscious meaning that we can reflect on things we can study mathematics. We can uh, observe ourselves in a a mirror. We can actually fashion mirrors in order to look at ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So there is the the aspect of the psychological self-consciousness where you can be self-aware and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that didn't come with the fall for us. That came with being uh, imago Dei, being in the image of God. What came from the fall is the understanding of evil, right? Like we we had an understanding of good. Everything was good. God knew good and evil. Uh, but we didn't know evil. And now we have this first person uh, awareness of evil. And so the even the serpent's lie was like a half truth, right? Like he's like, yeah, you'll yeah. know good and evil just like God. Well, God doesn't know evil experientially. Yeah, we do. We learned it. You know, we have this it, it's a trick, you know, and here's the really interesting thing, too. And um, it seems like it's becoming a rule now that I have to mention s- something from Doug Wilson every episode. But um, he talks about how actually the discernment between good and evil is not itself a bad thing. As a matter of fact, no. in Hebrews, we are supposed to, uh, the author of Hebrews calls out his audience and tells them, 
that that they uh, that solid food, which spiritually speaking is like like the meaty truths of Christianity of of life. Mm-hmm. Solid food is for the mature who have had their senses honed by experience in order to discern, um, who have had their discernment honed by experience so that they can discern between good and evil. So what, what Adam and Eve got when they ate the fruit was they got kicked up into this level of discernment that they were not prepared for. They experienced evil, as you said, experientially. Yeah. Because they themselves had become evil. What, what God desires for us is not that kind of knowledge of good and evil. It's, it's actually, he wants us to know the difference between good and evil because we become so good and so holy and so sanctified that we recognize evil instantly. Yeah. Like, like we should know the truth so well that we can be like Jesus when Jesus was in the desert and um, the serpent, or sorry, uh, Satan came to, to Jesus and tempted him. Satan quoted scripture, but Jesus knew scripture so well that he could recognize when scripture was, he could instantly recognize when scripture was being used for evil versus when it was being right. used for good. And and he doesn't entrust himself to any man because he knows what's in man's heart. So That's he right. knows good and evil without knowing it experientially. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And even as a, as a man, he understands yeah. it, right? As That's a, right. The, the true good man. Yeah. So, um, so let, let's, we should, we should talk about, um, we should talk about good and evil. Yeah. And, and, and that section where he says, um, you know, where he, where he talks about, oh, dude, one, one thing though. Oh, I don't, I don't want to get off on another rabbit trail. But no. Did you, did you catch in the chapter where Peterson said he talks about the way he talks about the way of, of life that is, that is proper, you know, where you're, where you're walking that thin line between order and chaos. Yeah. And he says, this is what Jesus was talking about. Yeah. He talks about that a ton in maps of meaning where uh, Jesus is the archetypal hero because the archetypal hero rides that, that razor's edge mm-hmm. of creating uh, order out of chaos. And so it's not a, a fear in um, it's not a totalitarian state like North Korea where you're trying to keep out all serpents and you're mm-hmm. actually becoming a serpent yourself. Right. Yeah. And it's not this uh, just rabid chaos. Uh, in the jungle where there are no laws, but it's really an ordered chaos where you're creating order out of chaos. You're continually on the razor's edge. And he talks about that with uh, gymnastics. When you see someone who just got like a really high score, the next person up knows they have to go nuts and they almost have to go. They're on the verge of chaos and they're flipping through the air and one wrong thing and they break their neck, but that's when it takes out, it draws out the best in you. Right. That's, that's what he's talking about. The archetypal hero. That's the redeemer. That's Christ. But the that where where it gets uh, troublesome for me is when he when he literally brings in John fourteen six where Jesus makes the statement I am the way and the truth and the life, and Peterson goes see this is this way of navigating between order and chaos, um, the the masculine and the feminine as Peterson puts it this is the way that Christ was talking about and it's like man you could not have a bigger blind spot right now because Jesus the the sent the statement begins with. I am the way. And so what Peterson wants to do is he wants to make it this abstract way of living. And Jesus says, no, the way is solid. The way is personified to the extent that it's me. It's I am the way. So for, for, and that's, that's um, like the, you know, that is the exclusive claim 
of Christianity that it's not just this abstract yes. way. There's not this right. set of principles. It's a person right. that you follow. Right. And yes, there's principles in following him, yes. but it's him. It's a guy. It's it's the God man. And Peterson, Peterson wants to, he, I think he's okay with making it about imitating Christ. But again, that's still an abstraction because, you know, this is where I wish Peterson would read a little more C.S. Lewis, um, especially, you know, you think about the great divorce where the, the people who if you've never read The Great Divorce, excellent book. Park, I know you have. I'm saying this for our mm-hmm. listeners. But um, in that book, the the spirits who are in hell make a trip up to heaven. And what they discover is that themselves, uh, they being the spirits in hell, are are ethereal and ghostly. But the the solid spirits in heaven are, are much more real than anything they've ever experienced. And this, what C.S. Lewis is, is con- communicating here is that is that um, the godly way, the way of righteousness, the way of truth is is solid. It's 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 not not even reified in the sense of being like described as real, but it actually is real. And and Christ is 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 God. This Im, the immaterial person of God, the immaterial divine creator who is more real than we are mm-hmm. entering our world and showing us something more real than our experience could ever have even led us to believe exists. Uh, and, and so if you want to know what's really real, if you want to know the way you have to know Christ, he himself is the way personified. I think Christians yeah. need to understand that when Je- when Peterson talks about Jesus, he's dealing with abstractions, but we actually have access to something that is, better and more real than even what Jordan Peterson describes. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's good. So yeah, talking about that, that, that brings up a good point because we've been talking a lot about Peterson's view of Genesis, but this is, this whole thing is a just so story Hmm. in Peterson's mind, right? It's, there is no historical Adam and Eve. It's, It's our account of what happened in our evolutionary history, when our minds got big enough, when our brains got big enough to allow for this emergent mind to come forth and be able to be self-reflexive, right? So now we can reflect on ourselves and we're, we're boom into self-consciousness and we're now all of a sudden we're at a higher level than the rest of the uh, animals who are still in this process, whether they ever reach self-consciousness or not is is, uh, a different, a different thing to note, but we are at this level now where we're able to talk, and think. And so before we were able to talk about that scientifically, we used mythology, just it, it erupted out of our collective self, uh, our collective unconscious. And, and so we made this just so story of Adam and Eve eating this fruit to help understand how our brains develop the capacity for self consciousness. And then he talks about good and evil uh, with pain, right? So evil is, is pain and goodness is this mythological dialectic of um millions of years of of humans interacting with each other right and right. it's like the it's the abstraction or the boiling down of all those uh different ways that we interact with each other into a yeah. moral code yeah so so when when peterson describes man humanity man and woman as the naked ape mm-hmm. that's not a pejorative term it's 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 saying we are apes that are aware that we're naked and vulnerable. Right, right. And so now it's in this section, the naked ape that I see the, I think he gets very, very close 
to a biblical understanding of humanity. And yet his soteriology, his doctrine of what it means for man to be saved out of his plight is, oh mm. man, it's so sub-Christian. Uh, here's, here's why I say this. So he, he describes um, Adam and Eve hiding from God. And he says, he says that, you know, God is a difficult to please father. So Adam hides from him because Adam realizes he's this naked ape and he's ashamed. And um, this is what I think Christians need to, to see here. So um, Peterson, because he doesn't, he, he won't go all the way and say that God actually exists. And we actually are, we, we ought to be ashamed before God because of this moral category of sin that we've fallen into. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, what, what Peterson says is he, he sort of kind of shrugs his shoulders about why we have to hide before God and, and, and why God treats us the way he does. He says, why not just make the poor humans immortal right away? Particularly if that is your plan for the ultimate future anyway, as the story goes, but who would dare to question God? In other words, well, man realizes that he's sinful and ashamed and you would think God would solve the problem right then and there, but he doesn't. And, uh, you know, yeah. Who knows? Who's to say? This is all just a myth anyway, and and who knows why God doesn't do that? Um, but then he makes this statement, dude, and here's where I want to go with this. He says, quote, perhaps heaven is something you must build and immortality something you must earn, end quote. Now, this, I think, is, is so, mm, it's so close because I mentioned earlier, Romans 2, 7 says that to those who by patience or uh, perseverance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, God will grant eternal life. Yeah. What Peterson says is, look, look, maybe, maybe immortality and, and, and meaning with a capital M is something we have to construct ourselves. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's that close, bro. Actually, Why not? it's not. It, that's, it, it really strikes me as existentialism there there is no like we're self-conscious now and even now that we know what peterson if if peterson told us the truth now we really know what's up we know why we're self-conscious and stuff okay so there is no real transcendent meaning but he says perhaps well no no that's right you make you create heaven you you are you exist existence precedes essence bro so now create this essence right create and it's it's kind of satanic, so, man. It's a little bit like the serpent whispering in your ear saying, hey, you know, maybe you make this heaven and hell thing. Right, right, right. And heaven I mean, and hell are realities in this world. Yeah. And, in- and I know that, like, I know the dude. I love the guy. I don't think he's got malice, uh, malicious intent or anything. But it's like that is something that this crafty serpent would say. Well, okay. But that's where I'm going, though. Yeah. So Peterson is using words like heaven and you're right. And this is what Christians need to understand is that uh, he's using that in a metaphorical sense. Yeah. But anybody with any scrap of, of Christian upbringing is going to hear, perhaps heaven is something you must build. And and you could read that ignorantly, man. Mm-hmm. And you could go, oh, yeah. Like, I don't yeah, agree with Peter. We're all living stones, dude. Yeah, we're building up the kingdom of God or through right. evangelism or through, right? right? And yeah. it, it's, it's up to us. But 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 what Romans 2, 7 says is, is he he says to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Eternal life, immortality is is it's a real thing. Peterson wants to shuff it off into the realm of myth, which 
ultimately he derealizes it. He de-reifies it. Mm. He says heaven is a place on earth. Heaven is, yeah, it's something we build ourselves, but really it's just an illusion. Ultimately, if we're being real about it, it's something that, that doesn't have any reality to it. The Bible says, no, it is real. It is something we can seek in this life, but it, it, uh, it's ultimately not something that we achieve for ourselves. It's something that's given to us. It's yeah. a gift. Well, and, and you have to have the right diagnosis as well, right? Like, because his wait, say it again, say it again. You have to have the right diagnosis of hell and of moral corruption right. and sin, right. right? Which is different than just suffering. Which he, dude, again, this he gets close to the Christian worldview in his uh, dis, in his uh, discussion of evil, where he talks about, you know, this is crazy. Only only man could conceive of the rack, the Iron Maiden, and the thumb screw. Right, these these torture instruments. Only man will inflict suffering for the sake of suffering. That's the best definition of evil I'm able to formulate. And I think of Silver Birch Ranch, a, a kids camp for for Christian kids, where some dude grabbed a toad and just threw it in the fire, and everyone's laughing about it. And I'm like, I want to throw you in the fire, dude. What the heck? It still pisses me off. Um, yeah, are you still in here? Bro? There you go. Okay, so. So only man can do that. But then he goes on to talk about a spark of the divine, right? And he talks about how I don't think he can make sense of this in his worldview, except we're the self-conscious uh, beings. So we've transcended the the actual apes and stuff like that. But, right. but, he, but he still goes on, even though he can't really, I don't think he can account for it. He still says, but we are these, these image, image bearers of God. And he talks in the first chapter uh, about us having a soul or a spirit, even though that doesn't make sense within his mm -hmm. But he, it, it's very, very useful. So he grabs it and uses it. Well, he says that we're spiritual, so to speak. Yeah, but then he he uses it as if we're not, right. so to speak, right? Right. Because you have to. We have this. You, you can't escape it. So he does talk about. Where you were talking about this earlier about this uh, dichotomy that he has, where we're like these wretched creatures who also like we don't even take care of ourselves, but we mm -hmm. are so self-focused as well, and it's this. Uh, Van Til calls it the rationalist, irrationalist dialectic, where we pass back and forth between rationalism and irrationalism. And and I find that in Peterson's book, in, in our treatment of ourselves, we're so worth, we're so worth it. You know, everyone should admire me, but we don't even admire us enough to take our freaking pills, you know, <laughs> right. and we don't even clean our own rooms. Right. And yet we think that we can solve the whole world and that we are uniquely individual in, in, that can happen like this, dude. And you read in the Psalms, you see David going back and forth, right? Like that's, that's part of the human experience of being made in the image of God and yet fallen. Well, dude, and you see this in every non-Christian worldview. I mean, take atheistic uh, Darwinism, uh, Darwinianism, if you can mm -hmm. sort of, you know, put those together as they often do go together. Here you've got man as an evolved ape, the product of time and chance acting on matter. And, and no matter what anybody says, that worldview does lead to epistemological nihilism. It, it leads necessarily to the, the complete, well, as Alvin Plantiga, the philosopher has said, we have a defeater for all our beliefs. And we've talked about this on the show before, yeah. but um, because so, so here, here you are, this, this mass of atoms, you know, you're, you're the end product of, you know, a process leading from uh, who is it that says, from fish to philosophers, from goo to you. Yeah, what is that? Um, Dennett? Does Dennett say fish to philosophers? Uh, that 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 may be. That may okay. be. I've I've heard Jeff Durbin and others, and I've used it myself. But um, but here you are, you know, this naked ape, and you are going to reason your way out 
around the, you're going to stretch the arms of your reason around the whole universe and tell, tell us what it's all about. Yeah. And it's like, on the one hand, you show such utter contempt for yourself. You're a naked ape. You, you have no transcendent meaning at all. Yeah. And yet motion, right? Yeah. Yes. And yet you're putting that mass of atoms on the throne of the universe as the yeah. arbiter of truth. Right. And it is, it is, it is Francis Schaeffer's upper and lower stories just, just in its most stark form. I, I know nothing and I know everything. And I, and I know Schaefer is obviously drawing heavily from Van Til as well, but I know everything and I know nothing. And, you know, so there, so that's the way it is. Yeah. You know, harumph. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And, and dude, and this is where I think the Christian, if you take Genesis seriously, like a Christian would, you can actually account for those two perspectives that looking at and looking along. Because and you, I don't think you like this terminology, but I think that we are animals, but we're not the we're not the rational animal of of Aristotle. We're the image bearer animal of well, Genesis. I like to say that we're we're not beasts. Well, sure, because and it's exactly right. We're not beasts because we have this self reflective mind that is made in the image of God. We have a soul, right? We're spirit, like God is spirit. Yeah. Right, and and I don't mean like in the same uh, order of being, like God analogous. Is, yeah, of course, exactly right. We're analogous to him. We're his creator. Um, we're his creatures. He is our creator, and we are the animals that were put here to arbitrate God's will in the world. So, yeah, dude, we can look in, at ourselves scientifically, but we can never escape the first-person perspective, the the Lebensvelt, the yeah. looking along, uh, yeah. ness, right? Like, we can never do that. And you see philosophers like Tom Nagel. And I call him Tom now because we're on a first name basis. Tom yeah, yeah. Nagel and uh, and Searle and all these guys who are non-Christians, they're atheists, they don't want to be Christian, they don't want to believe in God, but they have to say, hey, there's this observer independence that we have where we are conscious beings. And you cannot reduce that to the third person perspective. You can't do it because you are going to be the one doing it and you're a first person perspective. Right. And, and this is where, um, this is where, I I would just love for Peterson to get. I would mm. love for him to arrive here. Dude, totally. Is and and I'd love for him to see that you know the like I I I don't I'm not a huge Tim Keller guy, um, but he's got some amazingly wise quotes. Yeah. And one of his most famous quotes, Tim Keller, pastor in NYC. Um, I've been to his church. Um, no big deal. Just yeah, great. Uh, but I but I have been there. Um, he says this, quote, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe yet. So Peterson would say we're more chaotic than mm -hmm. we could ever imagine. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope, end quote. So um, what's true about man at creation, that we are, I mean, we're, we're dust, right? According to the Bible, we're we're animated dust. Yeah. And so, so we're lower than we could ever imagine. And yet we're dust that has had um, the, the breath of life breathed sculpted by God. And, and, and we've had life breathed into us by the almighty. Yeah. So, so even at creation, we are lower and, Oh dude. And higher than, that. than, than we could it's know, insane. into it. This is what, this is what Pascal talks about. He calls, he calls man the thinking reed. <laughs> the reeds are broken, they're bent, they're in the wind. And he says, you know, 
this vast world uh, engulfs us and, and overtakes us and a little bug can kill us. Yet in, in thinking of it, we can master it. Yes. Or this random, this like paradoxical thinking read. Yeah. We're, these, dude, we're so easily broken. We see that through through uh, this virus. Yeah. And yet we're here working on an antidote to it. Right. You know, it's crazy. Well, and then, and then when you add in, now this is where the fall comes in. And the story of redemption. This is why you need all four chapters of the four chapter gospel creation, fall, yeah. redemption, and restoration. Yeah. Because at creation, this is true that we're lower and higher than we would have ever intuited on our own. But but due to the fall, we are now morally lower. Yeah. Right. We've we've descended to uh the 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 uh, look at the history of creation. I'm sorry, look at the history of humanity, but not just humanity, dude. Look at our own hearts, man. Yeah. And right. we, we act like the beasts that we were supposed to master. Right? Yes, yes. But but lower than beasts. Well, because, yeah, I, I think Chesterton says this, that to say, to call us beasts is an insult to beasts. Because beasts right. couldn't do exactly what Peterson was That's saying. exactly beasts, right. They don't make torture devices, right? Some of them, like a sparrow hawk, I think, might put a sparrow on a fence or something like that and, yeah. and kill him. But not, we, we're very creative when it comes to torturing each other, other image bearers of God let alone animals and stuff, right? That's right. That's right. And yet then the gospel comes along. Jesus Christ comes along and he gets down into the sewer of our depravity without himself ever once, you know, uh, uh, drinking the sewer water or whatever, however the metaphor needs to go, right? He himself does not become polluted. And yet he allows himself to, uh, to uh, be contaminated by the effects of our corruption, yeah. right? He, he yeah. takes that on, in a in a uh, what's the what's the word in it it's it's imputed to him yeah right and then he he annihilates it mm -hmm. so this is why so Peterson goes why didn't God just make us immortal this is the answer to his question why didn't God just make man immortal right then and there if if that's the end goal well because in Genesis if he would have kept reading in Genesis chapter three the reason why God doesn't make man immortal from the from the get go he keeps him out of the garden is because if man were to eat of the tree of life he would live forever in his fallen yeah. state and and that was not god's plan he yeah. wanted to redeem us well, that's and, that's where the cross comes in the great the better tree the yeah. tree the tree of redemption yeah and and peterson um i mean he brings up this this theme in genesis adam and eve making themselves loincloths and stuff like that right and and the christian points to the end of genesis 3 uh in the, the proto euangelion or evangelium where um God is is promising that the the seed of uh, the serpent is going to. Uh, there's this back and forth. You want to talk about a struggle between good and evil. The the seed of the serpent is going to bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And then later you find God. These loincloths weren't enough, and God makes uh, God covers them with animal fur, with animal skin. So an animal blood had to be shed in order to cover the sin, in, in order to cover that self consciousness that Adam and Eve. Um, we're experiencing from their sin. And so, yeah, we see that that right there in Genesis. Why didn't God uh, make them eternal right then? Because that wasn't actually the story. The, this reality is, is this drama. It, it does involve order and chaos, but it's for God's glory, right? And, and the gospel isn't the, the plan B, but actually it was plan A the whole time. And God allowed the serpent to tempt uh, Adam and Eve in order for his own glory, right? Yeah. And and he hates sin. He hates evil. Yeah. He didn't make us do any of that. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm. You know. I think it is a, a mystery in any way you look at it. How could that come about? Yeah. But 
it, it wasn't like God had his eyes closed and came down and oh no, what, what are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't keep that that serpent out. I, right. I couldn't I couldn't keep the black dot out of the um the white space on the right. in the yin yang right. you know uh uh symbol. Yeah. Um, oops, my bad. I didn't yeah. mean to let that that potentiality for chaos come in. Yeah. Um, so dude, we go we ahead. Go ahead. Up, we got to wrap up here. So, yeah, so but I wanted to bring us back to the um, to the actual rule. Right? Please. So, so Peterson talks all about this. Is his he's he's developing his theory, or at least uh, expressing his theory of order and chaos yeah. of why things are bad. Why is it that we that we like hate ourselves and we love our animals? I don't think he treated the animals enough. I don't think he, he dealt with it enough. But then he goes back or, um, in, in conclusion. He says, you know, uh, to treat yourself as if you were someone you are responsible for helping is instead to consider what would be truly good for you. You can help direct the world on its um, on its careening trajectory a bit more towards heaven and a bit more away from hell. Once having understood hell, researched it, so to speak, particularly your own individual hell, you could decide against going there or creating that. So that's why he was developing this, his theory of good and evil. That's why he's developing the self-consciousness versus consciousness. That's why he's talking about the creation myth as he sees, as he sees it in the different uh, JEDP models. Uh, and then, or in that model, and then he's bringing it all the way back and he, he just summarizes it in like two or three pages here saying, Hey, so since that's the case, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for caring for and in so doing, you will help create heaven. And if we all did that, we'd have a better place here on earth. Yeah. Does that seem fair? Does that seem like? No, I I think I do. I think it's accurate. I think it's an accurate representation. Well, and then, dude, then he goes, that would atone for your sinful nature. Oh. And uh, dude. and replace your shame and self-conscious with the natural pride and foreright, or forthright confidence of someone who has learned once again to walk with God in the garden. Okay. And so... Yeah, man, that is like a, a almost barfo, disgusto uh, self help book, yeah. right? That's that's where yeah. it comes through. We're like, no, nah, man, uh, we are the problem. And looking inside and and solving your own problem, dude. Take care of yourself. Take your freaking pills. Do all that stuff. Regard yourself as an image bearer of God for sure. That's but that but an actual image bearer of right. God, right. not not as the product of you know time and chance acting on matter. And and someone who biologically needs this medicine, and that's it. Really, that that's ultimately it. You you don't you don't owe you. You owe God. Yes. Your the the breath in your lungs was put there by a divine creator, the archetype of all of everyone, right? Like he is the creator God, and you owe him yeah. everything. Take yeah. care of yourself as someone who is an image bearer of of God, man. Yeah. Like you are terrible in that you were made for a purpose and you continually go against God and the purpose for which you've been made. And you are awesome in that you've been made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. You're not a dog. You're not like you're not a dolphin. You are a human being. Take care of yourself. Act like it. Right? But but give yourself to God. Give yourself back to God. Be reconciled with your creator. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how that's uh, he's made atonement for you. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't do it. And, and, and Peterson, if, if he were to Dr. Peterson, if he were consistent, man, wouldn't it be cool if he watched this, how cool would this be? So if he were to watch this, what I'd want to say is this, look, you, by, by your own definition of what it means to be man, you recognize that we fall short of a glorious standard, 
by your own definition, you recognize that we don't live up to our potential. Right. Your statements of, uh, you know, your, your statement to the hypothetical 20 year old that he should not feel good about who he is today, but rather he should feel good about who he can become shows that you, that you recognize there is great potential in human beings that we are more than evolved lobsters. We are, we do have a spark of the divine in us, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Peterson doesn't want to get new agey and I don't want to get new agey, but that spark of the divine that you recognize is, um, is juxtaposed with the great evil that you recognize we have in our hearts. And the only way, the only way to truly main, uh, to truly restore order between these two competing forces is to heed the call of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he says, the thing I don't want to do, I do, and the thing I do want to do, this I don't do. Who shall save me from this? Who shall rescue me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's it's only Jesus Christ who is the way, the, the actual way in John 14, 6. It's only through faith in Christ, the one the one who stretched out his hands to mm. as an invitation to all men and yet um, uh, ascended to heaven and was actually lifted up on the cross. It's only through his penal sacrifice, his punishment and, and ultimate vindication by rising from the dead that we can, you know, be reconciled to this, the, the divine who has given us his spark yeah. and that we can finally eradicate the evil that we have within us. Yeah. Amen, man. Yeah, finishing cl- closing thought. Actually, uh, I wanted to mention this. Peterson talks about how uh, this was good. He talked about how the serpent now lives within us. Oh, uh, and you talk about like the seed of the serpent. You know, you yeah. can do a whole biblical theology of the seed of the serpent and the seed yeah. of the woman all the way throughout the Bible. Yeah, and so yeah, man, like, come on over, Peterson. You know, come come over to the world ver- worldview where you can actually account for real evil and yeah. for real good and for real redemption. Right, like. For real heaven, for real meaning, for real purpose. Yeah. Come on over, man. You know, quit dipping your toe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's yeah. good. All right. So, uh, Park, how can people get in touch with uh, with you and all that uh, good stuff? What's your website? Yeah. Yeah. Just go to parkersetacase.com. Uh, that's where my blog is at. You can find a lot of uh, book reviews, stuff like that. And uh, you can find me on, on Twitter or Facebook. Yeah. Connect with the Think Institute by going to thethink.institute. Listen to this and every episode of the podcast by going to thethink.institute slash podcast. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're also on ThinkSpot, which is Jordan Peterson's social media. We're on Minds. We're on Gab. We're on, uh, oh man, we're on all kinds of stuff. But, but uh, you know, follow us for more great content. And to get tips and tools to help you share, explain, share, and defend the Christian message. So, as always, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road, a little detour into the proverbial Garden of Eden. So we were able to kind of snake our way past the cherubim, past the flaming sword, go back over, yeah. see what things were like. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we didn't do any of that stuff. We didn't do any of that. <laughs> I got to backtrack. What happened? Well, we're you got to cut me off, off, man. I start. Jeez. I, geez, man, you got enough uh, rope to hoist yourself on your own petard there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not, that's not, that's not what that. Yeah, you're listening to yourself on your own coat collar. Okay. No, uh, as, as always, I hope that it uh, made you very self-conscious. Hope that it sliced you up with a flaming sword. (laughs) That doesn't. Hope it did. All right. All right. Until next time.
That's it. Goodbye. Oh, like and share this. What are you doing? Like, you still watching? Come on. Like, like and share this. Like it on Facebook. Subscribe to our channel. I got to say this stuff, man. People aren't subscribing. They're watching. And they, they, oh, you know what? Where are you going to go? I got to go. I guess you're just a kid. You're just a snot nosed punk kid. You don't have anything to do. You're going to go protest the, the lockdown. Oh, I'll be right there with you. All right. Peace. Protest.